0: You are listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit illinilife.org. Okay, hey, Suzanne, where are you? Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, That was really sweet. That was... um, I just love seeing God moving in people's lives. That's why we're here as a church. Um, there feels like I, it's some of us might be here because of a cultural mandate or a family mandate, but I think and my hope is that you are here or you discover that you're here because God's doing something uh, here. Um, and bonus, if you want to keep doing that when you're not here on break, go home, be a part of a church there, find somewhere to go and worship uh, over Christmas, same thing. Over a summer, come with me to Colorado. Suzanne did that. It was awesome. We do this leadership training program for Christians. We're helping you grow in your faith, and I think that would be just um, an incredible way for you to continue and seeing what God's doing in your life. So <clears throat> excuse me. anybody else feeling like Flemmmy this week? Yeah, How's your week been besides that? <clears throat> Anything good? Anything exciting happened this week? Yeah, I know.) <clears throat> And if, and if there just aren't engagements happening in a college church, is there, yeah, anyway, that's exciting. Okay, so um, our staff team just got back from Columbus, Ohio this week. Uh, we were at the Collegiate Conference, um, which is for staff and recruits. Um, thankfully, you guys didn't burn the place down. Um, <laughs> glad for that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you knew this, but line of Life is a part of a network of over 20 churches on college campuses uh, around the country. And you can see here, these are flags for all of our campus-focused churches, the campuses that they're on. We're on some other campuses where there are churches that are sort of like affiliated with campus, but these are ones that are saying, we are all in on helping college students figure this faith thing out. Pretty exciting, right? If you have a friend at one of these universities, maybe you can tell them, hey, uh, we have something there. We also got a new network logo. Uh, there's a lot of logo speak and stuff like that that goes with it. Those lines mean things. Uh, but basically, it means I have to change my prayer letter. Um, so that's a thing. Um, these conferences, they're meant to be a time of res- refreshment and joy, a uh, place for vision casting and celebrations to be made. It, and it totally was. Uh, we celebrated uh, the ordination of Nick, which is super exciting. I don't know if you guys know this, but we, uh, we ordain pastors here locally, and then we celebrate it as a movement together uh, after that's happened, and so we get to celebrate Nick as well as a couple other pastors. We celebrate uh, commissioned ministers who are both women and men who've been commissioned in this work after being here for a long time. Um, we celebrate the joys of a church being fully established at Eastern Michigan University. Uh, they were a venue of another church, and they said, we are our own church now, which is super exciting. Uh, We shared ideas in this like really clever version of Shark Tank called Collegiate Shark Tank where people shared ideas about how to reach campus and real people invested real money in these gospel projects, which is super exciting. It was a fun way to share ideas without somebody uh, who just seems like they know it all telling us what to do. (laughs) And we saw dear friends. Um, This is our friend Kirsten. Uh, Her and her husband Andrew are like Ashley and my best couple friends. Um, They're hard to find. In fact, they're all the way in Colorado. That's how hard it is to find best couple friends sometimes. (laughs) <clears throat> um, they, uh, Andrew's back at home. Uh, they both used to be on South still Is it is so fun to be with hundreds of people who are reaching students on campuses just like ours. I love it. I don't know if you guys love it, but if you do at all, maybe maybe come with us next year, huh? Um. But the first night of the conference, instead of sort of like the rah-rah kickoff that conferences get, you know, like the songs that everybody knows and the bigger band than usual and all that kind of stuff. Um. We spent a night lamenting. Um, we talked about the problems our network has faced. We talked about how we did not face them well. We talked about failures in leadership. We talked about not being safe for people at times. We lamented the sin in our own hearts, we lamented the sin in our churches in our network, and around the world. We lamented because we've fallen short, and sadness is an appropriate response to that. Lament is rooted in grief and regret. Lament is looking for God to set things right because we can't do it on our own. Lament is a good thing. As I've been learning over the last few years of my life, sad is a good thing. Um, And sad's in the Bible. God affirms sad. Um, In the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, chapter six, we get a glimpse into God's own sadness. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. See, God was sad because a type of humanity arose, a version of ourselves arose that was so evil and ugly that he said it just needs to be wiped out. This is a society that chose not to lament and said we are okay where we are at. While we grieve the state of the world we live in now at the collegiate conference, let me tell you, God grieved a lot more because he knew the extent of the wickedness of our hearts. But when he said he regretted making humans, it's not that he wished he hadn't made them. Um, He regretted where things went. Uh, John Walton, he's a scholar. He came here a couple years ago and did a Veritas forum on the book of Genesis. Um, He actually, he talks about this as God needing to reconcile the account. And so where we brought chaos, God is going to bring chaos to set things right, to balance it out. God is bringing a solution to reconcile the situation. So while God lamented, he started work on this solution. Enter our hero of faith for today. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Now, when I think about um, my heart, I often think, yeah, he's doing just fine. But Lord, I pray that you would help me to see um, the wickedness that's in my heart. Help it to be rooted out, Lord. Um, help a seed of goodness that you put in me, that, that image bearing that you put in me and put on our congregation here today, um, help that seed grow. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would, um, as this story um, is brought forth, Lord. I pray that we would be transformed by your good news, um, in the midst of it. Whatever I say that's of me, Lord, I pray that it would fall away, and whatever is that's of you, I pray, Lord, it would stick. Amen. Okay, so today we're finishing a ser- sermon series. We do sermon series here. We do like packaging them together, kind of on a theme or on a book. Um, and this series is called Heroes of the Faith. Our teachings have flown out of the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, This section is famously referred to as the hall of faith. We spent time looking at Hebrews 11 and the multitude of stories within it, and then we took a deeper look and dive into the stories of Rahab and Abram and Joseph. See, Hebrews is a book. Simply put, establish that Jesus is greater. He's the greater version of X and Y and Z, and double A, and let's keep going. (laughs) Uh, The greater version of many of the ways people have looked at the world, the greater versions of people of faith, um, Hebrews could be summarized as this. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, and he is worthy of our devotion. It's all about how Jesus is better than the things that came before. Jesus, like the most robust pizza, is supreme. Today, we're going to look at one of these heroes in Hebrews 11, the faith of Noah. These stories are relevant uh, because like these people, like Noah, we are waiting. We've not seen the perfect world that we've hoped for. In fact, as I've gotten older, I feel like I have to wait longer for it. This is what it means to be people of faith. To trust something we don't see. Have hope in something we are waiting for. So back to Noah. His story comes to us in Hebrews, thousands of years and dozens of biblical books after Genesis. Let's look at his mention in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warn, warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Okay, I'm just going to guess 90% of you plus know the story of Noah, at least to some extent. You probably had a storybook at some point or have heard a children's song or things like that about this story. But when you know something so well, it sort of becomes like a meme like it doesn't mean anything, it's just sort of a thing. And so I think this story might need a refreshing. And instead of just reading it um, from, the, from a certain translation of the Bible, I'm gonna read it to you from a version of the Bible that we are rocking at home called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, this is a kid's story version of Bible stories and it points consistently to Jesus throughout. And so there's a little video here with moving pictures. I guess that's what a video is. Let's... <laughs> Let's rehear the story of Noah together.
1: A new beginning. <coughs> time passed, and many people filled the earth. Everyone everywhere had forgotten about God and were only doing bad things all the time. God's heart was filled with pain when he saw what had happened to the world he loved. Everywhere was disease and death and destruction, all the things God hates most. Now, Noah was God's friend, which was odd in those days because no one else was. But Noah listened to God. He talked to God. He just loved being with God. What do you do with your best friend? Noah, God said, things have gone wrong. People have filled my world with hate instead of love. They're destroying themselves and each other and my world. And I must stop them. First, we'll build an ark. You know. Mother hmm, did Noah. Luckily, God knew and he would show me. A storm is coming, God told Noah. But I will rest <coughs> you, I promise. I'll send the animals to you. Ones that creep and crawl and slither and slime and gallop and hop and bound and climb. And don't forget to pack everyone's food. The storm was going to wash away all the hate and sadness and everything that had gone wrong and make the world clean again. God had thought up a way to keep Noah safe, but Noah would have to trust God and do exactly what God told him. So Noah built an ark. That's short for a very large boat. Noah's neighbours came out to watch and point and laugh because they didn't believe Noah about the boat or the storm or needing to be rescued. And Noah must have looked rather silly. His boat was in the (coughs) desert. The desert was nowhere near the sea, and there wasn't even a cloud in the sky. Why would anyone need an umbrella, let alone a boat? But Noah didn't mind so much what other people thought. He minded what God thought. So he just did what God told him to do. When the ark was ready, God said, All aboard! And Noah's family, and all the animals climbed inside. Then God shut the door and it started raining. The minutes that joined up into hours, that joined up into days, that joined up into weeks and weeks, and the rain joined up into puddles, that joined up into rivers, that joined up into lakes, that joined up into a flood that covered the whole world. Their boat that had once seemed so big, suddenly seemed very small. But in the middle of the huge storm, in the crashing waves, in all the thunder and lightning, and through it all, God was with them. And God kept them safe for 40 long days and 40 long nights. Finally, the rain stopped. The sun came out, and Noah, threw open all the windows. Hooray! Everyone shouted. Noah sent his dove out to explore, and it wasn't long before she brought him back a fresh olive leaf. Now everyone knew exactly what that meant. She had found a tree <laughs> and land the water was going down. At last the boat landed quite suddenly on top of a great mountain. As soon as it was safe, God said, Out you come! And so they did. Everyone skipping and dancing onto dry land. The first thing Noah did was to thank God for rescuing them, just as he had promised. And the first thing God did was make another promise. I won't ever destroy the world again. And like a warrior who puts away his bow and arrow at the end of a great battle, God said, See, I have hung up my bow in the clouds. And there, in the clouds, just where the storm meets the sun, was a beautiful bow made of light. A rainbow. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again. But God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why, before the beginning of time, he had another plan. A better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the Rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more, but not on his people or his world. No, God's war was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven.
0: All right, let's worship a band. You can come up. No, I'm kidding. Um, gosh, that's so good. Jesus Storybook Bible. Keep that in your head for later. Um, kids love this story. Animals, rain, a boat, a rainbow. My kids love it. Aaron points to all the animals and asks what they're called, and they're starting to tell me what they're called. It's awesome. Yeah, oh, that's good. Um, but as we grow older, because the story's so familiar, memes start to come out of it, right? I'll let you guys read those for a second. I like the fact that basketball existed um, at that point. (laughs) Okay, so um, jokes aside, right, this story has like things that feel like fishy. Um, No pun intended. Um, (laughs) We start to ask the question, and I think it's good, critical thinking comes into place. We say, how can this be true? Like, is this, is this a global flood for real or is it like regional? Was it that long? All the animals? I've been to the San Diego Zoo. There's not a lot of animals there. Well, there's a lot, but there's not enough. Noah was 600 years old? Okay. But what about the grass and the trees? How'd they make it through and what, what about other flood narratives? I know about the Sumerians and the Mesopotamians. They have floods too. Today, I'm not asking you to give up on critical thinking to believe this story, okay? In fact, I think you can give up on critical thinking in a couple ways. I think the first way could be by dismissing this account because you can't grasp all the details. By saying, 600 years, not possible, not a true story. That's, frankly, kind of lazy scholarship, um, there's no reason to believe that this is a myth. There's a lineage from Noah to Abram, from Abram to Joseph, our heroes of faith. If we don't believe Noah's real, maybe we don't believe these other people are real, but they're, they're historic people. We can point back to them. So I think it's, it would be giving up on critical thinking if you just dismiss the story because you don't understand details. We also thought there could, we couldn't run a four-minute mile and it was impossible, and then we figured out that we can Right, there are things we don't know and then we do know them. That doesn't mean it's not true when we don't know it. Another way to give up on critical thinking would be to ignore all the scientific discovery we've made. To say it doesn't matter that there's not enough water in the ice caps and in the sky to flood the earth all the way above Mount Everest. Like that's a real thing. Like it would be bad to give up on to miss out on that too. Does it make sense? Like critical thinking lives in the middle. It doesn't just dismiss the Bible and it doesn't dismiss science. It says, this is not a scientific story. Uh, And it also says science is real within the story. Does it make sense to you guys? If it doesn't, that's fine because I'm gonna keep going. (laughs) And let me say, these are really good things worth considering. But that's not what we're gonna do today. That's not the purpose of our story today. Uh, It's not why we're looking at it. The very fact that flood accounts exist elsewhere actually should be encouraging because it says there probably was a flood somewhere and these stories are trying to make sense of why that flood happened, what God was doing in the midst of that. So instead of looking at this story critically or uncritically, I want you to look at it critically, um, let's do it with a different lens. (laughs) Stories like this are so familiar that sometimes they require a new perspective. Like the perspective that the new iPhone offers. (laughs) Okay, three cameras. Who needs that? <laughs> that no, it's... But I'll tell you what. I have, I have a Fuji X-T1 mirrorless interchangeable lens camera, and I have three lenses for it. It's not that weird that a phone has three lenses, I don't think. It looks kind of silly, like you're cooking something on a stovetop, but... <laughs> Those three lenses allow me to go from a focal length of 300 millimeter equivalent on a th- uh, normal film plane to a 16 millimeter equivalent. What does that mean? (laughs) Let me show you an example. Okay, this is a focal length simulator on the Nikon website. They want you to buy their lenses. They're showing you what focal length looks like. On the right here, you have an 800 millimeter focal length. On the left, a 14 millimeter focal length. Let's start this video. On this 800 side, it's a super zoom. It's zoomed in. You see the top of a lighthouse. And as we keep zooming out, our angle that we're focusing on expands. and We start to see more of the scene, still a lot of lighthouse. See, my three hundred millimeter lens does just fine. Keep zooming out. Keep zooming out. Keep zooming out. Keep zooming out. Okay, so my camera does like half of that. Your, I, I don't know what the iPhone does. Susie can tell you. Um, <laughs> You can see the details still. You know there's a lighthouse there, but it's in light of a wider picture. Yes, there's a lighthouse, but it's perched on this cliff, on this beautiful beach. I want to go there and hang out and take pictures. Yes, there's a story about some animals fitting on a boat, but there's also a story about judgment and salvation. Does this make sense? The wide-angle lens gives us new perspective on the same scene. It shows you the things that you might have cropped out. And what I love about wide-angle photography is it has to be pretty honest because it's harder to crop things out of a wide-angle shot. You don't get to like, focus in and say, wow, they were in front of like, the most beautiful green background and like, there's buildings and garbage on the other side of it. You just can't see it, right? Wide-angle photography is honest. And so when we look at the story of Noah from a wide angle, I think we get to look at it with a more honest perspective on what God is doing, not just on the details. You can pixel peep another time. I'm glad you let you do that, look at the details. We're not going to do that today. So this is the text of the story of Noah, zoomed all the way out. Now, words don't stand out when they're in the same font, but as I've read the story, I'm struck by some key parts. Can we highlight those? See, in light of the whole picture, we can see a few key things. As I've read it over and over, I say there's some movements to this story. And since you can't read those, let's make them bigger. Okay, I know we just zoomed in from a zoom out and that might not make sense with the analogy, but this is in light of the whole story. There are six things that are happening in this story that are, I think, really key. First off, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God was grieved at the state of the world. He lamented what had it become. Secondly, God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. God's solution is, let's restart. We're gonna restart with one man. Noah found favor compared to other people. The text says that Noah was righteous amongst his people. That means he was relatively righteous. It's like when we say, he's a good person, but we still know he needs to be redeemed by Jesus. You know that one? Like, they're, they're a good person, but they're still like a mess at home. Yeah. <clears throat> That's Noah. But Noah found favor because he trusted God. He was blameless in his generation, potentially just because he knew God and walked with God. The story goes on... God gives Noah some pretty specific instructions about how big a boat should be, bigger than a football field, pretty tall, um, who to take on the boat, things like that. Third thing that happens. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah obeyed. God said, this is going to happen. Noah, you can lean into it or not. Noah leaned into it all the way. He built an ark. Probably took him multiple decades People would have jeered and said, what's going on? The story depicts it right. Nobody needs an umbrella, let alone a big old boat. Then he got on the ark and he trusted God. They waited seven days for rain to come. I don't know about you, but being stuck inside for a week with stinky kids is not as bad as being stuck inside for a week with stinky animals. But then when the rains came, I'm sure he felt something, um, felt justified a little bit, felt like my trust in God has worked for me. He inherited the right to live because he trusted God. Fourthly, God follows through with his solution, with the flood. All the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of heaven were open. Rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. God said he was going to do it, and then he did it. God says he's going to do something. He's going to do it. Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Will you live into that? Fifthly, God not only follows through with the flood, but God follows through on the salvation. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Big box, built by a guy and his family, floating for a lot of days on a lot of water, Plenty of stuff could go wrong. (laughs) But God remembered them. And he caused the waters to recede. God was faithful. And the last thing that I see that's key to this story is Noah built an altar to the Lord. Noah worshiped God. The world's destroyed, restarted with one person in his family, and he worships God. Let's look at this wide view a little more clearly. Can we go to the next slide, what it shows us? This is what happens. God lamented. God intervened with the solution. Noah trusted. God's intervention actually happened with judgment and salvation, and Noah believed again. This is, this is the wide-angle lens of the story of Noah. There's animals. There's water. There's all this stuff. But what's happening is a faith story that fits right in with the book of Hebrews. Can we, can we show that? Noah's faith stands out. This is what he's commanded for in Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 7. One more time. Can we do one more? There we go. Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Genesis 7, 5. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah built an altar to the Lord saying, Lord, this is good. He was willing to affirm God's condemnation of the world in his worship of God after the flood. Noah, by faith, trusted God's plan and inherited life. That's as simple. If you're looking for the, the, that's that's the story of Noah. God said He was going to bring judgment and salvation. Noah said, "Sign me up." God brought judgment and salvation, and Noah lived into that. That's the story of Noah. So, what do we do with that? First off, if you're frustrated, I didn't talk about um, global floods and how many animals fit in a certain volume and things like that. That's fine. Go do some research. Uh, but as you do so, I would encourage you to think critically on both ends of the spectrum. Give the Bible some benefit of the doubt. It's easy to say, I can't understand it, so it can't be true. But is that right? Sorry, I'm. There we go. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing, what do we do with this? If you're wondering what to do, be encouraged. Lean into this reality that one can have faith in God and big things can happen through them. See, for Noah, faith was not in the ease of circumstances. Noah's story is probably traumatic. Probably pretty traumatic. He's the last surviving family that he knew. Talk about survivor's guilt. But He had faith. Faith is not a simple life. Noah sacrificed everything he had on this one big box of wood that's gonna float on water. Faith's not just for the present, and it's not just for the future. See, Noah's faith has an object, and that object is God. He didn't have faith that in his ability to construct a boat, I'm sure he had to have a little bit of it. He had faith in the instructions given by God to build the boat. He had faith in the one who gave him the salvation. And not only did he have faith, but he acted upon that faith. And I think that's a key component of faith. So that's great, that's good, and that's like helpful stuff, I think. What do we do with that still? Well, what if we took it from like a wide-angle lens, like a super wide-angle lens, all the way out? Let's zoom all the way out. Well, things got pretty worse, pretty much, as the story says, things got worse after Noah again. The flood didn't fix humanity, but it reset it. God knew this would happen, though, and he had a plan. See, and we've talked about this plan, right? In the order of chronology, Noah's story actually happens before all the other faith stories we've looked at in this series. But we have Abram, born nearly 300 years after the flood, when he's an old man, he's invited by God to leave his home and go, and he goes. He believes, and he has faith in God, and he goes. Joseph, four generations after Abram, is invited to live by faith through various circumstances. His power comes and power goes. Rahab, about 450 years after Joseph, is called to live by faith in welcoming God's people into the city. And nearly 1,500 years after that, the world is very different, but still in many ways a mess. And into that world, a baby's born. A baby who will be the author and the perfecter of faith. This baby, we're gonna celebrate him right soon. We're gonna like go in this whole season and stuff like that. Maybe we look at Jesus in light of this bigger faith story. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God had seen trouble. He knew it was coming. He hatched a plan starting with Abram. That plan would take thousands of years and countless generations and look very different than a flood, but with way greater implications. See, our hall of faith in Hebrews 11, it bleeds into Hebrews 12. There, Jesus is called, I said the author, it's a different translation, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus began this faith thing by creating us in the first place. And Jesus is perfecting the faith of all of our heroes. See, Jesus perfected Abram's faith. And he opened up a, blood, a descendants, not just on, based on blood, like genetic blood, but based on blood of a lamb. No longer was Abram, were Abram's descendants just who his family bore, but who God bore into his family. Jesus perfected Joseph's faith as one who will give authority, or sorry, who had authority given to him. Jesus had authority given to him and authority taken by God, and he trusted. And Jesus perfected Rahab's faith. Her red cord hung from her window reminds me a lot of the red blood uh, on the the doorposts of the Israelites at the Passover and the blood of the lamb that Jesus brings to cover us and save us. Jesus perfected Noah's faith. When God was ready to restart humanity, he didn't destroy it with Jesus. He allowed humanity to destroy him. See, through one man, a new world was inaugurated. First with Noah, And then with Jesus, the perfecter of faith. The baby born in a manger, he's our Noah. He was called by God to be the first in a new creation. And Jesus is building his ark, the church. No longer is this invite for people who are of a certain ethnic background or certain family, Um, it is not for Americans solely. It is for people who are willing to call God their father. Not just for 3, three subfamilies that called Noah their father. This is the faith story that we're in. There's a lineage from Noah to you, to me. Let's live in this ark together, waiting for a renewed creation that has not yet come. While we wait, we can continue to build a beautiful ark, be a part of what Jesus is doing in building his church. So what's that look like with us as a church? I think it means go home for Thanksgiving, get refreshed and come back and be a part of what we're doing for the next couple of weeks. Jump in and serve with what we're doing, get out free coffee, be honest and open with your life in ways that you have never been before with people who you can trust because Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. And as you go, some of you are gonna be graduating here soon, this semester even, go and be part of the church that is being built elsewhere. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Not of Life's faith, not my faith, not your faith, but our faith, the church's faith. So let's be people of faith like Noah, like Abram, like Joseph, like Raham, And like Noah, at the end of it all, let's worship. Let's praise God. I'm gonna pray, the rest of the band can come up and we can praise God like Noah did uh, after they landed.